Hi, this is John Cackley with Centric Biz and Tech Talks. Today we're featuring a webinar on citizen development with Joe Hartzell and Britt Quate. My name is Jennifer Jackson. I'm going to be moderating the webinar today. I work with Britt and Joe at, here at Centric Consulting. Today we've got two speakers. First, um, we have Joe Hartzell. Joe leads Centric's enterprise collaboration services at Centric. He is really focused heavily on the Microsoft Modern Workplace and has more than 25 years of experience helping organizations with communication, collaboration, and just overall productivity improvements. Then we also have Britt Quaite. She's a senior manager on the enterprise collaboration team here at Centric with more than 15 years of experience focused on digital transformation, process automation, and really focuses on making sure she's enhancing productivity through actionable tech specs, and just making sure that the processes that you are focused on automating are actually the right ones. Good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. We had just done some introductions, but I think we missed one, and that is the introduction to Mr. Macro. Or maybe he needs no introduction because you already know who he is or, or Ms. Macro. The person who is often your local IT department, the one who you go to when you need a widget, when you need a macro, when something has to be automated. A very technical person who was the first person maybe who had a Fitbit or a smartwatch to create some whole wind down routine in her home with the new Google Home, however how many years ago that was. The one who's always looking for a way to do things better and is always a bit frustrated when those avenues are not available to him. Mr. Macro is now what we would call a citizen developer. All right, we're gonna go ahead and launch our first poll here. Um, so go ahead and pull your screen up and submit your answers. First question, um, is your company using sanctioned low-code or no-code tools outside of your IT department? Yes, no, I'm not sure, or what is low-code or no-code? Britt, you bring Go up ahead, an Jeff. interesting topic with uh, talking about Mr. Macro because a lot of those solutions that somebody in, in, your, uh, in your scenario that you painted, um, the tools that they use are these low-code, no-code tools, uh, correct? That's right. And, yeah, I think with the, these no-code tools are something that a lot of people have available to them, but they're not democratized in a way, and they're, they're more through a discovery period than officially sanctioned. The difference, I think, between what Mr. Macro had been doing and what we're looking to bring on with citizen development. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and close it out and share the results. We had 46% answer yes. We had 25% answer I'm not sure. We had 18% answer no, and 11% answer what is low code or no code. Okay. Those are very interesting results, and I'm a little surprised by those, actually. Yeah, me too. In a, in a good way. Yeah, in a very good way. I agree. So it seems like many of you are able to answer this question already, but um, we'll go into it anyhow. What is citizen development? And maybe the next part, why is it important? So thinking about these tools, uh, we just talked about Mr. Macro. They they're not exactly new in terms of the concept, but in terms of how they're sanctioned by IT, yes, because these tools have come a long way from Mr. Macro, who, I mean, maybe wasn't even low code, but writing those macros, because at a certain point past the recorder, you have to really understand VBA. With these new tools, you're given graphical interfaces that you can drag and drop. I mean, leave your keyboard at home. This is mouse development. You don't need to bring a server. You don't need to really understand much more than what it is that you're looking to accomplish in some basic business logic. These have interfaces, templates, built-in connectors to help you get to data sets that you're going to be needing to access. And they're managed around the security and the access by your IT department to make sure that you're doing this in a safe environment. It's like having a play button on your Microsoft Visio. So we have some different types of low-code development, and you can see here it's not a one-size-fits-all. We are talking about low-code and talking about no-code. 
the most popular at the moment is this low code, as you can see on the left. And if you look at the subline, we're seeing that that low code is still being developed by IT. So we've got these citizen development tools that are not being used by citizen developers, um, and certainly not exclusively. They're sitting in IT departments. But we see that just shy of 50% are being done in tandem with the business, where the business is perhaps reaching out to IT, talking about a need, and having a partnership to be able to execute on that vision using these tools. And I think we'll see as these tools improve, these numbers are going to start to level off and then flip in the other direction as we have more sophisticated tools that become more and more low or no code and that IT departments feel more and more empowered to be able to hand these over to the business. The other thing that we're not seeing here is the breakdown of ongoing support. So looking again at this chart, for the 60% of solutions depicted that are built in collaboration with IT, it's likely that the maintenance, initial troubleshooting, and minor adjustments can be and, and are being handled by the business rather than IT ongoing. And that's certainly something I've seen and is definitely an advantage of using these tools where activities like updating a field in a form, changing an email address and a notification gets sent to, or evaluating why a process could be long running could all be handled by the business and does not need to be affiliated to IT. Why is citizen development important? Um, in a recent article in Wired Magazine, Satya Nadella from Microsoft talked about how citizen developers can really help us amplify the impact of our IT organizations and really extend how IT can help the business. I draw parallels to that to some personal experience I have. At one time in my career, I worked for an auto manufacturing company, and uh, as part of their IT organization, one of the things that we were challenged with is how do we satisfy all the needs that come to IT from the business? Understanding that IT is a critical resource, and, and, and that's even growing more so today than ever, in helping businesses be competitive, maintain the compliance that they have to maintain, um, but also uh, IT can in some ways be a differentiator to help um, differentiate uh, the organization from its competitors. And however, when IT is overwhelmed with, with requests for new applications and enhancements to applications like what I experienced, business units oftentimes um, go out and look for their own solutions because simply um, their, their solutions can't get done fast enough in that whole queue of IT projects. And so what we've seen in the past is that creates some divide and some animosity between the business and IT. And because those, those solutions that the business goes out and, and acquires or develops so typically aren't sanctioned and may present risks that, that IT is not comfortable with. And so citizen development it becomes important because what it really focuses on is allowing your organization to extend those roles of IT out into the business in a sanctioned manner that IT can support. And so um, as we go through the rest of the presentation today, we want to think about that paradigm. Um, and I know that's a consulting word, but, but uh, um, we want to think about that um, because the key to citizen development is that it brings IT and the business together and hopefully eliminates that divide that we've seen in the past, okay? So there are five reasons why we believe that citizen development matters to your organization. And one of them is that people are expecting a more digitized experience in their work life very similar to what they have in their home life. And so many people, you know, they're they're on social media constantly, they have apps on their phones, and more and more they want the same, well, maybe not the same tools and technologies, they want the same experience um, because that's what they're accustomed to. And so it's critical um, that IT is able to support that because, um, you know, that leads to many different factors, including employee retention. We hear a lot from our clients about how providing employees with modern capabilities, modern solutions, modern tools um, helps them retain employees. Um, so we want to think about that. One of the other things that we want to do is think about productivity. 
And productivity and innovate faster, uh, the third item here is very closely tied together because oftentimes our, the folks out in our business, outside of IT, the folks that um, know their role within the organization and their, and their business unit's role in the organization better than anybody, come up with innovative ideas that will help them be more productive, more efficient. And we want to give the business the ability to enable or enact on those, those innovative ideas to help increase productivity. And oftentimes they don't want to wait um, a year or two or however long it takes to get in the, uh, the IT queue to do that. It can help our or it can help organizations gain a competitive advantage by offloading some of those non-core, non-critical application needs from IT, and again, allowing the business to take those on um, in a very sanctioned and governed manner. And if every organization we know has shadow IT in it, and what we mean by shadow IT is that there are folks out in the business that are doing things that that IT maybe hasn't approved, doesn't isn't governing, isn't sanctioning, and so by implementing a citizen development program, we can hopefully provide the business with the the tools and the solution to to build the solutions they need, while also doing it in a highly governed manner that doesn't put the organization at risk. What that leads us to is, is it right for your organization? So let's dive into that a little bit. Um, Britt touched on this earlier already, but what we really see as we talk to our clients about citizen development is there's a bit of a divide and, and a couple of different viewpoints. One is your leadership team. One is from your employees. The title of this slide says how business and IT leaders can assess your culture. And, you know, I touched on this earlier with the scenario I painted from my experience, but one of the things that used to be, I think, used to be the case is that we separated business leaders from IT leaders, almost like there was a divide there. But because IT has, is such a critical part of our business uh, today and, and most of our businesses, right, we shouldn't look at business and IT leaders uh, separately or, or think about a divide there. Our IT leaders are our business leaders and our business leaders are helping drive what we do in IT. So when you think about your combined leadership team, you have to think about what value there is in citizen development. We talked a little bit about this already, right, is providing a, a sanctioned, governed way to allow people to build solutions that make them more productive, more efficient, without burdening IT with just yet more and more projects, right? But one of the things that we also have to address along with that is, are leaders open to giving people outside of IT the time and the training needed to take that on, right? Because obviously if you're in procurement or if you were in um, your business transformation group uh, within your organization, you've, you've got a day job, um, you've got a role that you play and does leadership believe that adding on some additional responsibilities is something they wanna do? And that feeds right into the next topic is, you know, that means then once you get them trained, once you give them the tools, do we allocate the proper amount of time? And are we allocating the right amount of time for our folks outside of IT to work on the applications they need to work on? And one of the big things though that we, we often see is, do, do we think that technology is gonna threaten our jobs, right? So we're all concerned about our own well-being. And one of the things that we've seen over and over again as we work with our clients is this, is that um, <clears throat> bringing in new technology oftentimes, in most cases, doesn't eliminate anyone's job, but it does allow people to focus more on the core critical functions they need to focus on and less on the manual tasks that seem to occupy everyone's day, okay? So some things to think about from your leadership team. But we often also hear something very similar from the employees is, well, if you automate this, am I going to be out of a job? And again, one of the things that we often see is that building new solutions, getting new solutions in place faster allows people to focus on the more critical functions they need to focus on and less on, on manual processes. Now, we always have to deal with the fact that some people really like to do their manual processes. And that becomes a challenge for us as leaders to help them understand and make that transition. 
So other things that in part of our culture within our organizations is do our employees feel empowered to make suggestions uh, for improvements? And are they open to learning and that continual learning that it takes to once they make a suggestion, once they have an idea, to make sure that they're keeping up with both the tools that they're being enabled with, as well as how IT supports those and, and what, what the guardrails are they have to work in. And then going back to this factor we talked about, about time earlier, is even if you allocate time to people to build solutions that increase their productivity and efficiency, are they really gonna take that time and do it? And so that's again, a cultural issue that many organizations have had to deal with. And, um, but we think that with, with some proper organizational change to help those employees understand the role, the time they have available and what their commitment is that that can be overcome. Okay, so we have another poll question. Dan, do you wanna take that? Yeah, here we go. So what are your biggest fears or hesitations about citizen development? Is it lack of knowledge? Is it concerns about lock-in with low-code or no-code vendors? Is it loss of IT control? Concerns about the security of the apps created? Or is it concerns about the scalability of the apps created? Can't wait to see the answers here. Britt, I know which one I would pick. Which one would you pick? I was just asking myself that question. It's not multiple choice. <laughs> so um, I definitely would pick the fourth one, concerns about the security of the apps created, because obviously all organizations want to preserve their intellectual property and their digital assets. We don't want anyone to have the ability to compromise those. So that would be my biggest concern. All right. So we had 43% answer lack of knowledge, 26% say concerns about the, the security of the apps created. Then following that, we had 17% say concerns about scalability of the apps created. 9% said loss of IT control. And then our lowest was 6% about concerns of lock-in with a low-code or no-code vendor. Very interesting and in many ways not surprising, right? Let's talk a little bit about those fears and hesitations, okay? So you can see that we have some data here that, Jen, I don't know how that aligns with what we just, uh, with the results of our poll, yeah. but I think there's some commonalities there, right? There's some, pretty, there's some that pretty line funny. up. Well. Yeah, 47% um, on your slide and 43% of our audience said the same, which was lack of knowledge. So that was pretty closely aligned. I agree. I agree. I was glad to see that the uh, one about security, it was higher than what we have here on with the data that we gathered. Touching on some of those fears and hesitations that organizations have as they launch into a citizen developer program is um, one of them is we talked about this a little bit earlier is about this thing called shadow IT. So it's the creation of IT activities um, within the business outside of IT that IT hasn't sanctioned. Right. And that can lead to other fears, such as concern about the scalability of apps, concern about the security of apps, the tools that that the uh, that the business went out and, and acquired that now become your shadow IT tools. And we want to touch on that a little more. You know, some of it is losing control of the development pipeline. So how does the organization know what the demand is on IT if not all projects are being done by IT. And then also the other factor is what if these solutions that are being developed just simply don't work very well? And because maybe we haven't acquired the given the proper training, maybe the the people that we've asked to do the citizen development aren't the best people. Um, and Britt's going to talk about what makes a good citizen developer a little a little later. And so those are some of the things we need to think about. But one of the other factors that doesn't show up here that um, we see a lot is how does IT now support this citizen development team of people that we've enabled out in the organization. And so that's one of the other things we need to think about. Some of you may be asking, well, isn't that just one more, <clears throat> one more burden on IT? But think of it this way, is uh, the support that be, would be required would be a lot less or is a lot less 
than what it would take to add enough people in IT to address all of those needs of the business. And so is it an increase in workload for IT? In some ways, yes, but it also, uh, it's a much less, uh, much less of an increase in workload than adding staff um, to the IT organization that be, would be required for all that work that's out there, okay? Okay, so with that, what are the keys then to being successful with the citizen developer program? And so we think that there are really five keys um, to being successful, okay? And these really apply regardless of what tool set you choose. And I guess one point I was a little uh, missed on the, the previous slide is when you think about your tool sets that you're going to use let's talk about that just for a second, is the second item on there, 37% concern about lock-in with a no-code or low-code vendor. Many of our organizations today have made uh, significant investments in platforms like Salesforce, various cloud platforms from Microsoft, tools out there from, uh, or ServiceNow, there's tools out there like UiPath, which have a huge footing in the, in the business. Typically, your organization has already made an investment in those and is in some ways locked into those and is part of how your organization does their business. In many cases, it's safer to think about the no-code, low-code solutions from those vendors than whatever the latest open source or freeware um, type tool is because we never can get be guaranteed of what the future of those is, right? So one of the things that um, we believe is that looking hard at the vendors you already are working with and thinking about how you can leverage those for your citizen development tools, okay? So going back to the five keys to success, one of them is training, change management, and adoption around the tools that you're providing. It's really critical to before you go to that step to define the governance around those tools, and that's one of those keys to success is don't make it an open playground, develop a governance framework, hopefully a citizen developer center of excellence that are those guardrails and the guides for your citizen developers and also informs you then as to what kind of training and adoption activities, communication activities need to be done. We always recommend you start with some very intentional and, and well-defined pilot projects that where IT will probably have their hand in more so than what your ultimate goal is, but we want to be able to execute on those pilot projects and determine any course correction um, that needs to happen. And then the other thing um, also is then looking at prioritization and helping determine what are the needs of the, of the entire organization as opposed to maybe just one specific business unit prioritize IT's work based on those. I'm sure many of you have IT prioritization processes or, or methods in place. Really think about those to determine what becomes candidates for citizen development, okay? With those five keys out of the way, I think we have one more poll question related to that, um, correct, Jen? That is correct. All right. So which of these will be most challenging for your citizen development initiative? Is it training slash change management adoption? Is it creating the right pilots? Or is it establishing a citizen developer center of excellence? Option four, maintaining governance? Or is it prioritizing the business needs and solutions? Give you guys about I think some of these questions overlap with understanding where you are in your citizen development initiative, wherever, however far you've made it and maybe where you've run into some resistance or some challenge uh, will probably be what I think we see reflected here. Most definitely. And keep in mind that even if you've gotten started and you maybe have started off um, without thinking about these five keys, it's always possible to put a hold and go back and, and restart and get the right governance center of excellence in place um, and the right training and change management and adoption in place so that moving forward, your citizen development program can be more successful. So Jen, what do we have for results? All right, closing it out now. We have the highest response was maintaining governance. No shock. Doesn't surprise there. me at all. 
A close second with 29% was training slash change management adoption. Again, no shocker. Mm -hmm. Then following that with 21% was prioritizing the business needs and solutions. 11% said establishing a citizen developer center of excellence. And with the lowest response of 7%, it was creating the right pilot. Britt, none of that really surprises me. How about you? It does. I, I am surprised that C, establishing a citizen developer of citizen development center of excellence wasn't higher because I think having that in place addresses the other four. That's a really good point, Britt. Okay. So, Britt, at this point, I'll turn it over to you, and um, you're going to talk a little bit more about, as I referenced earlier, who should be a citizen developer and what makes a good one, correct? That's correct. So we talk about citizen developer initiatives, that the main message here is that you have your citizens and you have your developers, and not all citizens are developers. And there are different types of citizen developers, as you can see here in the chart. But I'd like to share uh, an anecdote with you. I have a friend who works in the insurance industry, and she was working at a very large insurance company that had a very locked down technology environment. Now, she is not a technical person at all. And she started at this new company that was a bit smaller, also insurance, but they're a little more opened up. And within her second week of working there, she was so excited that she called me to tell me this, that she had created a form and the form had a single logic question in it. And she posted the form and it had a workflow behind it that would send her a notification when somebody would fill out the form. And, and the fact that she could do this without having to go and talk to somebody that she kind of discovered the ability to do this on her own, I think really talks about how citizen developer tools, even at their most basic, can enable people to be more productive at work without a lot of training. And that's a simplistic example, but it meant a lot to her and I'm sure it helped everybody who she worked with to not have to go and send an email to her, for example, or for her to follow up with people. And if I look at how that would fit in my friend here to this grid, I would say it's more of an end user configuration within a work group. That's going to be the bulk of the people that we have in our population in our organization to be able to just take initiative to be able to automate things that are important to them that are simple to do. And as we move to the right, we're going to have Mr. Macro come in who really understands the business logic, able to use these low code tools and be able to create more of an application experience. Business-led pro developers, this is something I've seen a lot too increasingly where there is a development team within a particular business function or the IT team has a liaison that represents a certain business function that they can work in partnership to be able to handle these business-led initiatives. And then of course you have your IT pro professionals developers who are writing your managed applications who are building mission-critical enterprise-facing applications and are full-time developers. And as you can see, the numbers are getting smaller as we move to the right. And now we'll talk about, on the next slide here, some traits to look for in a citizen developer. So let's think back again to Mr. Macro. What are the qualities that make him good at what he does that would make him a citizen developer, somebody we want to get involved in our initiatives. Recognizes opportunities to gain efficiencies. I think this one is something that a lot of people might recognize. They're easily frustrated by the tools that are available from IT. They are always looking for a way to get around the manual process rather than trying to grumble through it. Maybe they have some innovative ideas about how to do something a little bit different. Passionate about business technology. These are people who want to see the release notes when something comes out, who are providing suggestions for updates to the tool, who would say, you know, if only we were able to see this other piece of data on the screen, my life would be so much easier. They really care about the usage of these applications and not just a means to an end. Has a basic understanding of application functions. So it's not enough to be able to understand the business applications, but to be able to translate what that means into a technology. What do we need to think about in terms of access? How is the data going to be structured underneath? 
how do we handle the user interface? So being able to make a design that not only achieves the goal, but that maybe is intuitive, that is something that people can be able to figure out that are going to be using this tool without a lot of training. Who understands not just what needs to be done, but the, maybe not the best way, but has a good idea about some better ways to, to actually implement it. A desire to help. Now this one goes back to a point that Joe brought up about not just the desire, but also the leeway, let's say, to be able to help. It's one thing to be able to do it, but if you're asking your citizen developers that these are pet projects and they have to do them after hours or on the weekends, that might be okay for Mr. Macro, but if we're trying to really have a citizen development initiative, it ought to be part of what people are given the time to be able to do during the day. So it's recognizing the desire and then accommodating for that as part of their work. And then can document the business needs and edge cases in detail. This one is really important because one thing that I've seen where amateur citizen developers can get tripped up is designing processes or applications to do what you want them to do. And I think that step to maturity is thinking less about that and more about what you don't want them to do. And that's the difference between an enterprise, easy to use application and something that can be very frustrating or is not as robust as it needs to be. Thinking about those edge cases, something that comes around once every September, or something if a key is entered in incorrectly, what does that mean? Now, a lot of these low and no code tools have guardrails around them that you can configure that make it easy to be able to handle some of these cases and use data entry errors. But it is something to be aware of, and it does have to be something that's configured. And if somebody's thinking about this as part of their process, not just a happy path, but where that might start to get a little bit thorny is definitely a great quality in somebody who's going to be a very successful citizen developer. So we've talked about what is citizen development, why is it important? We've assuaged all of your hesitations that you could possibly have about citizen development, right? And now we've figured out who we're going to select, at least initially, to take part in our citizen development initiative. Let's go and build something. Where do we get started? So what should our citizen developers develop? But with step one, we want to exclude what makes a bad choice. And I think seeing where many of you are with your citizen development initiatives today, this is probably something that you've already done and thought through, or again, maybe you haven't given it much thought because it, it does seem obvious, but it, it's worth spending some time on, especially when you're first getting started. So if we're thinking about putting these tools out there or starting a pilot, we want to be very careful to not allow people to do things that they shouldn't be allowed to do. And thinking about what makes a bad choice, and your results may vary depending on your industry, your organization, right? Like my friend who works in insurance, but we need to think about who's going to be using this application. Is this internal or external? Primarily, or almost exclusively in my case, have seen citizen development tools being used for internal purposes only. I mean, an exception might be if you have a form or some type of event sign up um, that could be external, but certainly nothing that would be considered mission critical or revenue generating. How important is this application? If it's mission critical, highly strategic, if it's handling your month-end reconciliation processes, not a good candidate for citizen development. Uh, I'll take the next two together, and it's about access to the information and the qualities of the information itself. Working with personally identifiable information or anything that's considered very sensitive or that is under a lock and key only to a small population of people within the organization, not a good place to start with your citizen development initiatives, even though we can put some controls around the types of access that data can have and where it can go. To be safe, better to start with things that are very innocuous. Is the tool a standalone application? So this is one where citizen development can really shine because you are able to connect to other systems. Maybe it's not necessarily a mission critical 
system, but something else that we want to pull data in or push data out of the CRM, for example. Now, for starting, I think standalone applications are going to be safest, and they're going to be simplest for your citizen developers to understand. Having a form or a chatbot that just sits by itself that doesn't talk to or connect with other systems is one plus thing that people would be trained on and not a bad place to start. So maybe thinking about, at least initially, just keeping these standalone applications or processes to be automated. And similarly, APIs. If there is an API, that could be something in the future. If there isn't, that could be a good op opportunity to use something like RPA to come in and perform that automation as a citizen development tool where you don't have to go and build something um, to be able to use this as a proof of concept. We, now that we talked about what not to do, we can talk about what is that happy path, thinking about what are the boundaries that we want around citizen development. So step two, stop, start small, secluded, and save. If we're thinking about a pilot or a couple of an early projects, we want to know the applications that are the easiest for our citizen developers to get started with. What are we going to turn on? What would make a good pilot? Something that involves just a few users so that we can have a control to be able to get their feedback, walk them through the process. Great place to start. Degree of impact to business processes. We certainly don't want to be automating invoicing as our first project. Something that maybe feeds into it or reporting from invoicing. Something that we definitely have a backup if it doesn't go exactly as planned and that won't impact the business if the project is running behind or doesn't turn out the way that we expected. As we mentioned before, data security requirements. There shouldn't be any data security requirements is, is probably a good way to think about it. If, if you have to think too much about what would happen if this data got out or if somebody was getting access to a system that they shouldn't have, not a good candidate to start with. Business continuity and availability. Should this not be available during business hours, it should not be a concern. I mean, of course, we would we would like it to be, but again, we're not putting mission critical systems and those are best being managed by IT. And regulatory compliance is what we're generating, creating records. Is it going to need to be audited? Thinking about that, where this information is sitting, where it needs to be sent to, if there's any chance that this could fall into some regulatory needs, then maybe not a great place to start. So let's move on to step three, improving what you already have. And there, there are two ways to, I think, run this. And the first, and, and these are in no particular order, the first would be to identify a department or function and have them think through some use cases that would benefit from citizen development. And you can allow them to brainstorm the tools that would be useful. So thinking back to my friend, something like creating small forms or chatbot, a workflow and the like, things that are very manual today that, or, or things that are not being done today that maybe they would like to be able to introduce that would be small and simple and uh, just a few steps. The second approach would be broader and that would be to evaluate what some of the most manual, duplicative, people-intensive processes that you have are, and then whittling out anything that doesn't address the criteria that we talked about earlier regarding mission criticality, security, availability, and so on. And then work with somebody who's been nominated as a citizen developer or two citizen developers and digitize that particular process using the tools available. This is something that I've helped clients with before. Um, an example is I had a client that every month they would review a number of documents and then the review of that documents went into a template and that template was in Excel. And then somebody would take each one of those templates and consolidate it into another Excel. And then somebody would take that Excel and then create a series of dashboards from that information to be able to report on the findings of these documents to the executives. It was a very manual process and, and these were full-time jobs for people who really, it, 
it evolved that way. It wasn't like they were hired to do this work. And we found that by creating a interface that those who were reviewing these documents could put their feedback into and then generating a dashboard on the back end from that feedback with a baked in workflow to have a review process just to um, evaluate everything because we weren't quite at the point that we could trust it. That was a small example, it's a standalone application. It wasn't mission critical because we still had the spreadsheets, people were still continuing to do that work. The data wasn't particularly sensitive, it was considered business as usual within this organization. And the amount of time that it saved was just immense. I mean, it was probably close to 40 people that were freed up from this process to be able to go and focus more on improving the quality of the documents and improving whatever uh, other business as usual activities that they were actually hired to do and not have to take a whole month to review these documents. So big success, very manual process and very low risk as a pilot for citizen development. So step four, starting your citizen development initiative. This is going to be our lead in to our next webinar where we're going to talk about this in a lot more detail. So we talked just a little bit here briefly in the last couple of slides about identifying good candidates for citizen development. We've talked about identifying citizen developers. We talked about addressing fears. And those are all good things to keep in mind, but we actually have a methodology here at Centric about how to get started with citizen development and, and knowing that most of you have already gotten started how to mature your citizen development, not just from the governance perspective, but through all of these ideas that you see here through discovery, identification, strategy, technology, center of excellence, training, and communication. But at, at a high level, it's a discover, define, and develop process where we're trying to go through some of the exercises that I had just spoke through of identifying what works and certainly what won't work in your organization and then next putting that down in terms of a strategy or a roadmap where do you want to be today where do you want to be in six months where do you see citizen development heading in your organization over the next couple of years and so on and then lastly coming up with maybe uh, the center of excellence and training initiatives and, and really empowering is what this is about empowering people to become citizen developers, to do citizen development, to maintain and to be inspired, to be able to automate whatever they think is necessary in partnership with IT while still maintaining that control and security of the environment. So it's that give and take, feeling comfortable that people are empowered and the citizen developers are comfortable that they're empowered to be able to make these changes. Sweet, thank you, Britt. We are now going to transition over to the Q&A portion of our webinar. All right, you guys ready? Yeah, it looks like we have some yeah. great questions yeah. already, Jen. Let's do it. All right, so the presentation assumes, assumes an intentional path. However, how do you apply these principles when the horse is out of the barn and a department has already begun development without referencing the outline decision points. And that's what I was just mentioning here on this last slide that this is very green field. You're thinking about citizen development and you've heard this as a buzzword, you want to learn what it's about. The fact is, and we saw this in the poll, most of you are not there. Most of you have already been working with this and uh, it reminds me of SharePoint in the early days where a lot of companies just put it out there and, and within three years they find themselves hitting all the limits. They've got too many subsites, too many list items, and it's just a lot of sprawl. And we want to get in front of that now all these years later and not allow the same thing to happen with citizen development. The biggest thing is going to be talking about your center of excellence. Yes, the horse might be out of the barn. You might have to leave it out of the barn for a little bit and figure out, well, what is this barn really supposed to be? How big is it? How, where is it located? What does it look like? What can we allow the horse to do and not to do? Uh, I guess it, it comes in a, a three different um, components. First is the administration of the tool. Thinking about the configuration to allow people to do and not to do 
whatever you need them to do. And, and starting small, it's always better to have people ask you for more privileges and to be able to do more and be a little bit frustrated than to feel overwhelmed with what's available and maybe take it too far. Another element would be monitoring. Do you have the tools in place to be able to provide insights into what's happening? And ultimately, we would love to be able to show the value, but at the beginning, it, it might be too chaotic. Can you see who your citizen developers are? What are they creating? Are they being used? And, and also having an eye to what that might be for licensing perspectives as well. I think that's another thing that's overarching this is unlike a lot of other tools, when it comes to citizen development and usage, there can be a lot of additional costs depending on your platform as it becomes less governed on what people might be creating and maybe they're not aware of some of those implications. And then lastly, again, is, is empowerment. Do you have processes in place to have an onboarding of citizen developers, of citizen developer ideas. Maybe there are certain tools or types of things that can be built just on their own, and maybe there are others that have to go through some sort of intake process and be evaluated. So these are um, all components of what would make for a good center of excellence around citizen development that ought to be in place and, and can certainly be established once citizen development has already been out there and, and maybe now you need to rein it in. In, in Brit, from an organizational standpoint, I think it's important then also to just, sometimes you have to go ask the business to stop, right? To stop be, um, in order to get the proper governance and center of excellence in place. Um, and we understand that, you know, that could impact them for a short amount of time, but in the long run, it benefits the whole organization. Okay. Jen, what do we have next question? Where do you see the greatest resistance? Is it IT or is it the business? in some ways depends on the culture of each individual organization. But for the most part, what we've seen is the bigger resistance actually comes from IT. IT uh, concerned about losing control, uh, concerned about the security and confidentiality of data. And also then going back to that people factor, it's IT, folks in IT saying, well, if, if we're moving my job out of IT, then what am I going to do, right? Um, and what's my longevity here? So we usually see the most resistance from IT um, for those reasons, but again, it's a little dependent upon your each individual organization's culture. Thanks. All right, I'm gonna get keep plowing through these. How do you address audit and compliance concerns regarding apps that become mission critical? My company is publicly traded and subject to SOCs. Yeah, this is an area that I have some experience in, and thinking back to what does and does not make good citizen development initiatives. That's not to say that anything that could be audited should not be part of citizen development. And I certainly know that in some organizations that would be nothing could be part of the citizen development initiative. But I think you, you really need to have a mature organization and a really strong COE before you can permit access to that type of data or activities within SOCs. The good thing is, with a lot of these citizen development tools, you're going to get audit logs and access to data versioning in a way that did not exist in whatever you were using before you put the data uh, citizen development layer on top of it. Um, going back to the organization that I was talking about with the massive Excel spreadsheet that was pulling everything together, very highly regulated industry, the version of all of those had to be stored on box and, and they were all to be audited. And, and it was a big mess because um, it just is, right? And the nature of how it was being done. With the tool, it actually improved visibility a lot because then the audit team could come in and see what was going on. And it actually reduced their workload quite a bit because rather than trying to figure out who had the spreadsheet when and who maybe updated cell E19, there was just the audit history there in the tool. So I think understanding the capabilities of the tool and having an intake process for anything that might be compliant for SOCs to be able to understand how that's going to impact down the line and how you will be able to get the information that you need for an audit out of the system is going to be critical before you allow citizen development to happen in those types of workflows. Thanks, Brett. I'm going to jump in one more question and then wrap up. This one is, what are some of the most common tools that are used for citizen development? 
Well, Britt and I can tag team on this one and we'll make it quick, is um, some of the ones that we see, again, if your organization is a big Salesforce shop, um, Salesforce has its own citizen develop or tools that can be enabled for your citizen developers. Um, the Microsoft Power Platform is probably the most prominent one that we see because so many organizations have made an investment in Microsoft 365, Office 365, or Microsoft Dynamics. And uh, you get a, a lot of those Power Platform capabilities uh, within those tools. And then um, there are other tools out there like UiPath and, and we know um, even ServiceNow um, has some of its own tools in it. So Britt, are there any others that you can think of that we, we run across on a, on a regular basis? I think I'd say it a little bit differently that we're seeing a lot of platform as a service offering that are really branching out into citizen development. So odds are that Good if point. you have something like uh, Pega or ServiceNow, Salesforce, all these things that on the surface seem like they're built for a particular function, they're actually highly extensible. And this goes back to the governance discussion of you might find that you have zero actual citizen development tools, but you also have too many citizen development tools because you have these capabilities that aren't enabled or you're not using them right, or how do you use what, when, and that all goes into that citizen development discussion. And it could be that you want to select just one, maybe there's a use case to have multiple, maybe you want to go out and purchase something that's specific, like um, um, here's one thing that none of these tools that Joe just mentioned do, they're really none of them are, are no code. And if you really want to explore something that's no code, well, there are other tools that are out there that will allow you to do this and that will integrate with some of these other things as well. So lots of lots of answers there, but chances are you have more than one of these already. If you have other questions, feel free to reach out to our speakers. You can reach them at collab, C-O-L-L-A-B, at centricconsulting.com and obviously get plenty of uh, information about what we're up to, this topic and many others on our social media channels at Centric on Twitter or on our website, which is centricconsulting.com. Thank you guys so much for your time today and thanks to our speakers for sharing their wisdom with all of us. Have a great day. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. This has been Centric Biz and Tech Talks. Thanks to Joe and Britt for being our experts on the call today, and thank you for listening.